All right. Welcome to episode, I don't know, 58? 58. We're recording track. almost 9 o'clock in the morning, which is might be our earliest ever. It's kind of weird. Yeah, well, you know, I've been up for hours. Yeah, me too. We get um, up super early around here. Monday, September 28th, 2015. What's going on? Nothing. You went on vacation. <laughs> Tell us about your vacation. That's going to be the most excitement in this whole show, your vacation. I wasn't I was on vacation for a couple of days. Yeah, so um, what did I do since last since the last um, episode? I did a little work on the HelpSpot mobile apps. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, some updates with the networking libraries and whatnot. It's always and, something. Oh, all this software you have to have now to sell software, it's just infuriating. And then every time you do an update to something unrelated to Apple, the deployment process always has a little bit of Apple in it with <laughs> iOS 9 and a new Xcode and settings that default to exactly the opposite of what you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was there a lot of changes for 9? Well, you know, I mean, just like, tweaks. Just, just settings that default to the exact opposite of what you want <laughs> instead of Xcode. You know, like, um, it's crazy. I don't know but, stuff stuff related to the, the way their new UI works with the um, uh, screens not being full screen in iOS nine and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you basically have to go back and say, "I'm not ready to do an iOS nine thing yet." Just go back to whatever the the default of the iOS eight was and run this from this update. Right. Um, but Apple doesn't work that way. Apple will default to what Apple wants, regardless. <laughs> yeah. of the thing that was released two minutes ago. That's right. Um, so we did a little bit of work on that, and then I took a trip to Philly with my wife. So Ethan stayed with his grandparents for a couple of days, and we went out to Philly. Um, the hotel we recommended was great. Yeah. Yep. That's the um, Monaco? Or? The Monaco, yeah, which is considered to be all trendy and, and, and stuff. Foofy. Foofy. <laughs> um, it's basically the same neighborhood where... Pierce took place, which is like the old city, the, yep. the uh, historic district. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice around there. And we just skated just under the Pope's visit. They were <laughs> setting everything up right around the hotel. He's right next to the hotel with his speech and his um, his car, his car was passing. And, and they're setting up like um, a whole thousands of seats and, and uh, police are there and the canine units and the bomb squad and all this stuff a couple of days ahead. So we're there watching all this stuff being set up over there. But it was nice. I mean, Philly, you know, Philly has an identity crisis, um, oh, yeah? especially like that area. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a tourist spot. I mean, it looks like their entire economy is sort of like based around, you know, the, the Revolutionary War and, and all of that founding of the country and uh, Benjamin Franklin. I mean, everything's like right. Franklin this or Constitution that or right. <laughs> Liberty that. Uh, but it's not priced like other tourist areas. Like if you go to Bahamas or, or, or the Caribbean or something, I mean, they're like practically gouging you on every little plastic trinket or Disney. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's cheap. It's cheaper. Philly's cheaper than say like the East Village or something like that. Right. right? right. But it has the same sort of East Village, um, Services like you could get three cookies at two o'clock in the morning to live in the <laughs> hotel room, which you did at Piers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and it has all of these frou frou, like East Villagey type of like Pizza uh, yogurt joints. stores yeah, right. that are all you know, weird and fancy and like 
shops that are devoted to movie quotes. I don't know what they sell, but they have movie quotes. And <laughs> yeah, cool coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very – it's positioned to be very expensive, but it's very cheap. It's it's like a – there's like lots of real estate available for lease and rent, both commercial and, and residential, which is weird. And it's very walkable and sort of – but it sort of feels like um, Brooklyn Heights or – Williamsburg or something like that. It's very sort of like upper middle class, early 20s type of deal. Um, But at the same time, it's cheap, cheaper than you expect. So it has this weird like identity. It's almost like it's off balance, like an event happened and the economy hasn't balanced yet. You know, it's like like this place and time type of a thing that you happen to come across. It'll eventually go one way or the other. But right now it's just sort of like doesn't jive with itself like it's having an identity crisis. I think it's kind of got that in-transition vibe where, yeah, it's like there's a torn-down building, but then right next to it is this really high-end shop or there's an empty building and right next to it is some art gallery or whatever. So it's kind of transitioning like that. But in the old city, too, it's always felt like, I don't know, it's pretty safe and comfortable being out there at night and stuff even and things like that. Some of the other parts of Philly are a little rougher than I've been to, but that part's really, uh, yeah, it's great over there. There's just, it's just uh, a good scene. I, yeah. I like Philly a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, but the difference between like the, the, the rougher parts and the walkable parts is like two and a half blocks. It's very right, compressed. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, you can end up in the rougher parts pretty quick, but if you uh, stay in your zone, it's pretty, pretty nice. What did you guys end up doing? Did you eat some good food? No, we went, well, yeah. I mean, we just, just checked out Yelp and like a bunch of stuff and like a four square block radius and there's a bunch of really good, like the small shops will have amazing food. So you don't even need to bother making reservations to any of like the big places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we liked it. It was very nice. Did you do the touristy stuff or no? Uh, we went into the, the, the Jewish museum uh, uh-huh. just uh, for something to do. Um, there's not really, I mean, like two days is like what, this is the perfect spot for visiting Philadelphia <laughs> without a car and without like any plans of, of doing any sort of touristy things. You basically arrive and then you spend the next day just walking around and you go back to the hotel room and then have lunch and then you spend the evening, you know, doing bar stuff and then you go back and then you sort of leave the next day. Um, it was just like a, a decompression type of a mini vacation for yeah. us. You took the train? Yeah, we took the train. That was part of the the, the experience. My wife right. wanted to take the um, the Amtrak down. We even looked up how long it would take to take the train over to California. Uh, I've done that. A few times. <laughs> you have? Oh, you looked it up. You haven't actually gone. No, up. yeah, I looked it up. I, I think it's four days. It's yeah, it's a little bit train. of a haul. Um, but it would be cool, I think, to do. It would be nice to do if you could afford to lose eight days on the travel. Right, right. As part of your vacation. If you're taking like a month-long vacation, then maybe it'll be a, a good experience. The trains look nice. They look all sleek and, you know, it's not like And you can MTA. get like a private room and right. stuff like that. Right. That's, part of the, that's part of the vacation though, is you're that's seeing right, the whole right. country, you know? Yeah. Um, it would be cool, yeah. Someday, someday. I think the kids would, I don't know if the kids would like it or not. That's why I've been torn on if they, if it might be, you know, I think they'd like it for a while, but then... Would they get bored on day three or whatever? We were sort of considering during the entire step of the the, the train trip, uh, the, the process, uh, whether e- uh, Ethan would be interested in doing this or whether he can handle it. 
And like on a train, it's nice, and maybe he'll sit for that hour and a half. And in a hotel room, it's nice. He'll sit there and Philly, it's nice. But then you hit like choke points, like the the Penn Station, and like there's no way he'll survive this. <laughs> like he won't be able to make through sitting in half an hour waiting for the train around here. He'd be fine. <laughs> it's unfortunate that you'd have to expose him to such a place, but that's right. So there's there's places where you just don't want to be with kids. You just there's like enough hassle yeah. to adults. Right. Having kids around will make it like terrifying. Yeah, that's what Metro North is nice because we just get on here and then you drop off in Grand Central, so there's not really any of that. There's no place undesirable in between there. <laughs> right. and, uh, but yeah, going through Penn, that's that's a lot rougher. So we hit Philly two days before the Pope arrived, and then we hit Penn Station four hours before the Pope arrived, I think. Oh, and we just snuck under all the like the craziness of. Uh, I mean, Philly is supposed to get a million visitors in right. a city of a million and a half, I think, total population. Well, that's right. When I saw that the next day after you left, I was like, only Butov would <laughs> go to Philadelphia, not be aware that the Pope's coming, and get get his party crashed by the Pope. We didn't, though. We left but, before, so it was Yeah, right. you were all right. It, it worked out, luckily. Yeah, it was luck. How was... Uh, I was leaving the kid for a couple of days. That's the first time you left him. No, he's been. He, no, we've been. Um, we've been home. Uh, well, last time it happened, my mom passed away. Right, we sort right. of left him at his grandparents, and we were hoping to have like a few days off at home. Yeah, and like my mom passed away like three hours after. We left. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so it was like you know, no, no relaxation than that weekend. Of course. Um, but but this time we tried it. It all worked out great. So. Okay. Um, yeah, he seems to be doing it right. He started going to school. He's fine without me. School is like amazing. We thought you have like a whole separation thing, and he's like, "Bye." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, "All right, you want me to stick around?" No, bye. He's gonna be the opposite. He does. <laughs> so he's just storming in there, playing with toys, and he's just—it's his world. We just yeah. live in it. Next year, you'll put them in full days, and then the year after that, I think the year after that, but kindergarten, right? And then that's it. Yeah, next year's pre-K, and then kindergarten. Then that's it. Then he's a big kid. That's Then you're done. You ask him, you like school? And he's like, yeah, I love school. I'm like, All right, you got 18 more years at least. <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Oh, my goodness. Unless that's you're going to go grad school, then you have 30 more years. Tyler's already in fourth grade. It's like, boy, I can't believe he's halfway to – being in high school, you know, or more than halfway, really. It's crazy. And they're in high school, and that's it. And we're officially old. <laughs> I'm officially old now. <laughs> All um, right. So, hey, we got a, I'm going to do a sponsor read here. Oh, we got we're sponsored first, this week. Yeah. First sponsor of the season. We got a few of these coming. And this one's really cool. I'm actually glad this one is first, uh, uh, because we've known these guys for a while and, uh, they yeah. decided to sponsor the show. Charles and Joe from uh, ReleaseNotes.tv podcast about um, uh, the business of Mac and iOS indie software development. This is what we call a proper podcast, not like this pile. <laughs> <laughs> so what are they doing? Joe They're doing Joe. a conference, which sounds really awesome. I wish uh, I could go to it, but I have like 18 things those couple days, so it's not going to happen, and my birthday is the day after it. But... Uh, yeah, they're doing a, a conference. So I'm going to read their their spot here, but then I want to talk about it a little bit. Join some of the most experienced entrepreneurs and leaders in the iOS and Mac community as they gather to talk about the business of independent software, which is a topic we are close to. Uh, release notes will take place October 21st through the 23rd. 
my birthday is the 24th, everybody, in Indianapolis, Indiana, with an exceptional group of indie developers, journalists, entrepreneurs, and leaders offering honest, practical advice for how you can improve your indie software business. Um, I'm going to break into their read for a second because it kind of it, it feels to me sort of like a microconf focused on iOS, which, uh, which I think is pretty cool. And Mac, I think they, they're yeah, Apple focused. Apple, Apple stuff. Um, okay. Learn from our lineup of world-class speakers and from other guests how to turn your side project into a full-time job, grow your business without taking funding, make the most of your limited time and resources, and a bunch more great topics. Um, in addition to the talks, there's going to be a bunch of networking opportunities, social activities, food, fun, um, all around Indianapolis and the uh, historic building Union Station uh, where they'll be doing it. You don't have to struggle for success all by yourself. This is a great opportunity to participate in the indie community and learn from fellow entrepreneurs who are working to improve their indie software business. Tickets are on sale now, but they're only available until October 12th. So got to get on that. Um, time is running out. Listeners of our wonderful podcast can use the code bootstrapped to receive $100 off the ticket price. Um, so go to releasenotes.tv slash conference to get your ticket. And again, that's releasenotes.tv slash conference. And we'll have the link and the uh, offer code as well up in the, the show notes. Uh, but yeah, this sounds really great. It's like microcom for Apple. And uh, I think it's going to, it looks really good. And they have a great variety of speakers, including past uh, bootstrap guest, Rachel Andrew. So uh, I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, and these guys don't focus on like if you're an iOS developer on like the skeezy type of stuff, like go and right. buy a whole bunch of source code and reskin. Like, right, right. Uh, <laughs> they're real, real, real I mean, fun. they price their apps, uh, you know, in a sort of like normal cost of living pricing that's actually reasonable to be able to run a business off of it. So if you're interested in actually being able to sort of like run a business and not just as, you know, making an app in my basement as a hobby type of a thing, then you'd be interested in, uh, sort of like the, 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 the topics that, uh, Charles and Joe cover and well, the conference stuff. And I also think it's kind of interesting because other bootstrap conferences like appears or microconf, things like that, um, you know, they tend to just end up geared more towards SaaS type apps or, or business to business kind of software or things like that. And, you know, I think the mobile ecosystem and even Mac desktop, although that's a little more like a normal software business, but, you know, certainly, especially the iOS stuff is, you know, such a weird world and requires its own real specialty knowledge, I think, to make that work really well. Um, the, having a, a bootstrapped conference focused on that specific area is a really great idea since you can get focused in on the, the kind of information you need in that specific market as opposed to, you know, what works for a SaaS company or things like that, which are very different and have a different pricing model and all different go to market and everything's basically totally opposite, even though it's still software. So uh, I think that'll be really cool. Right. And a lot of sort of Mac developers are in the ecosystem where Apple is pushing their Mac app store. And that yep. platform then looks more like the iOS platform rather than just a desktop platform. So there's a whole bunch of business considerations when it comes to that also. So it's, it's good that they cover sort of Mac and iOS together because it's sort of like a, um, a relationship with Apple that's, that's, uh, akin to the kind of relationships that you have with a customer as sort of like on an equal measure of footing. So you have to be just as aware of, of, uh, what you should be doing when you're dealing with sort of Apple as a, as a, as a partner 
in your right. business as you know as you are what you're doing with your customers so uh, a lot of useful stuff on that podcast and i'm sure a lot of useful stuff on uh, in that conference so if you're a mac or ios developer definitely check it out um but there's probably going to be a lot of sort of like charles put up um a thread on our forum uh you could find it on uh, you know discuss that bootstrapped that fm there's a th- topic thread called release notes conference um if you have any questions about the conference, you could put up your questions there and, uh, Charles or Joe will address those. Um, but he said there's a lot of sort of like, um, uh, there's a lot of related information to people who are not just Mac and iOS and developers as well. So, so there's a lot of like SaaS and web and just desktop app related, uh, info as well in the conference. So it should be a great conference, you know, sort of like if you're interested in, uh, stuff like the microcon for, you know, if you're, a billionaire and you go to the business of software conference. <laughs> um, this is sort of like the more affordable uh, alternative that has, you know, just as much useful info, more relevant useful info because we're not running, you know, a thousand person software companies here. Yeah, uh, really. I think it's, uh, yeah, I wish I could go because just even like in the speaker lineup, I mean, there's, it's going to be an interesting mix because they have like Jim Dalrymple, who's a big Apple guy and they have underscore David Smith, who's, a guy who's built 500 iOS apps or whatever and um, the Relay FM um, podcast dude. So, you know, all these, uh, I don't know, it's just going to be, it's just going to be interesting to all these different kind of angles and things I'm personally interested in. So maybe next year I'll get out there. Right. So that's October 21st to the 23rd in Indianapolis. Uh, check out releasenotes.tv slash conference. And what's the discount code? Hunt. Uh, bootstrapped bootstrapped yeah and 100 bucks off so that's a pretty substantial discount so definitely get on that right so thanks release notes for sponsoring um this podcast this week indeed um so spent a few weeks in philly a few weeks a few days in philly, <laughs> and then came back so just came back a couple of days ago and uh spent a few days working on the new quantic insights product Yep. Um, uh, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, uh, Ian and I co-founded a new company called Quantic Insights. And, um, so I'm working sort of on the first product for that. Um, the name of which, uh, neither one of us loves for now. Um, <laughs> the the name product. Of the product yes. Um, maybe we'll, I mean, we'll see. Naming is like whatever. And then, uh, so we're working on that, uh, in stealth mode for now because I love stealth mode. <laughs> Fight the man, um, fight the rules. <laughs> and then I spent like hours over the weekend cleaning up various servers that are running WordPress. Um, so none of my other servers suffer as much outside abuse as the WordPress ones. Basically, right. if you're running WordPress and you don't do everything you can to make it look like it's not running WordPress <laughs> to outside bots, the site will be just under constant inflow, various brute force attacks and all that. And... Um, like if you tail one of those authentication system logs in slash var and you take a look at, at the log, uh, they're almost tripping over themselves trying to get <laughs> into the, the system in the WordPress installation. So that's crazy. Um, I had to lock down a few of those a little bit tighter to withstand all the, the brute force hacking attempts. And in one case, I had to kill and reinstall the VM instance entirely because that machine was breached and it was beyond hope. Oh my goodness. Um, the world we live in. That's why I I just do all that stuff with WP Engine. We should move the bootstrap one to WP Engine eventually because I think I have some open slots because 
I just can't, I just can't deal with it. It's too much work to, for me to be in charge of managing all those attacks. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, the internet, the internet's a horrible place. We were tweeting about this before it's, and it was me and Fidelibor, I think. And like, I just want to go back to where your password was just, you know, password with a, a zero instead of a, you know, O or something. And you didn't have to worry about anybody breaking into your stuff because nobody knew what the internet was anyway. And it was fine. And now, you know, like over the weekend, I got lot, I got the new iPhone, but I didn't move over. Well, I don't know. I don't think there is a way to move over the Google Authenticator thing. So, so I couldn't get into anything because I have two factor auth on. But I had no way to get into it because the authenticator was on the old phone, which I turned back into Apple. So, you know, I had to, like, have to go through support and oh, get get them to turn off two-factor off and they have to call me. And it's all crazy and all that crap. And still, all that they end up doing is they send you an, a code to your email account and they call whatever number you give them. And they say, do you have the code? And I say, yeah. And I give it to them and that's it. So, which also seems kind of silly because basically it all still comes down to if your email gets compromised, you're hosed. So that's still the single point of failure for everything, even with two-factor auth, because I could have gotten into everything uh, by just having everybody turn off two-factor auth because I have access to the email account. So mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing's ridiculous. Everybody's winging the security stuff. It's <laughs> just enough not to get sued or at least not right. to bring attention to themselves. It seems like you're doing stuff, so <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, what else is going on at Userscape this week? Uh, we have new support person starting, so that's our our excitement, which is going to be great because we have so much going on. There's you know version four, people are upgrading, and so there's a lot of support with that. And right now, developers are primarily doing support, so kind of setting back our uh, development a bit, which I had planned for. I didn't really have us plan to do much for. You know, really told just about winter, but still, you know, there's lots to be done. So, uh, getting the support guy in and trained up starting on Thursday. Uh, so that'll be really exciting. Um, everybody, everybody's looking forward to that. And, and, uh, with him too, we're going to do a bunch of new stuff, which is going to be cool because we freed up some time and support by moving sales out to its own position. So, uh, you know, he's going to be able to do training webinars and uh, some kind of more uh, tutorials and different things like that. So we'll be able to produce a lot more stuff. Uh, with, you guys do a uh, lot of that sort of demoing to clients, right? You, you haven't yeah. talked about it much, but like, you know, I hang out and I spy on you guys. Right. <laughs> so I, like every morning you guys do a, a demo call or conference call or something for a client for help spot. Yeah, I should talk about that a bit. So that's a good topic. Um, we'll, we'll get into some useful information here. So, yeah, so we've always done demos if people asked us, uh, and I would do them. And then, you know, once you had Rebecca, primarily I, I demo wise, I still mostly did demos. Um, and only if people asked. And I was so busy that I just left it at, well, if somebody asks and really wants one, you know, then I'll do a demo for them. This is a horrible sales strategy. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't do it that way at all. Because we don't mention anywhere that a demo was a possibility. We just, you know, if somebody really wanted one and they emailed in and said, hey, do you do them? We'd do it. So last year I was like, well, let's try offering demos more proactively. So I put a thing up on the site and, uh, and that worked great. And so then we got a lot of demos and then it was kind of more than I could really do. Uh, so then, 
Rebecca started doing them and she took that over and, and that worked out great. Yeah. There's demos pretty much every day and many times, you know, multiple times a day. And, uh, and with HelpSpot, as it becomes even more kind of pure B2B, it's always been pure B2B, but it's less, uh, like small companies and less kind of software companies and things like that nowadays and more colleges and banks and places like that. And so, you know, they're more used to having demos and conference calls and there's more of a process to, you know, making a sale. Um, so that's kind of where the natural evolution was to put Rebecca in sales full time, which is what we've done. And so she can focus on doing demos and calls and all those kind of things. And, uh, yeah, it's worked out well. It's, you know, it makes the sales process go a lot smoother. They have a person they know they can contact. It's a person who, you know, can make sure if they need something from, you know, in terms of development or a question that's you know, technical or whatever, they can, uh, she can facilitate that with me or with developers on getting those answered. So there's always somebody on top of it. Uh, so yeah, the, the demos and then just the whole salesperson in general really helps grease the wheels on these sales. Uh, and then now with the new website we launched, um, you know, contacting sales is like all over the place. Mm-hmm. So making it that more formal sales process uh, very apparent to bigger companies that just want to click the talk to sales button and talk to somebody in sales. They don't want to, a lot of times they don't even look at the pricing page. I mean, we, we still have the pricing up. Um, so we haven't gone all the way to contact us for pricing, but they often won't even look at it and they just contact sales and then they are, they'll ask, you know, her about the pricing and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so, but it's, it's worked out really well and it's, uh, Definitely, if you sell B2B, at the very least, I'd recommend doing demos. Um, and if you don't, if a product's not priced high enough to do demos in a pure B2B app, then you may want to just charge more. Uh, you know, look at charging more and getting companies that are more used to paying more for things and are more about having that process in place and, and working through it. Because um, it, it definitely makes a big difference if you can walk people through it and... Uh, and give them a demo and let them compare against other products. And, you know, then you get a chance to talk to them and counter their concerns uh, versus if it's just left up to their own and they, you know, wander around through your app for a few minutes, they don't really see the thing that they needed to do, but really it does do it, but they obviously just don't know where to look. Uh, so when you do the demos, you can address all those concerns, which is great. It's funny when we started out, we sort of looked at all these sites that have costs for pricing and we ridiculed all of them. Right. But then you see that evolution of a business as, as your sort of the type of customer you get sort of changes as your business matures. It sort of becomes an organic thing that your site sort of transforms into one of these uh, sites that has, you know, calls for pricing and, and call, uh, contact the sales agent and all those things that initially we thought were just like, pretentious things for people in suits who don't know any better, <laughs> but it's actually sort of like reflecting the type of customer base you have, regardless of, you know, how technical you are, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I think cause the logical things you start out marketing to people like yourself, you know, so I don't want to deal with that stuff, but you know, when you really get in the mind of your customer, if you're just, you know, in an office and, somebody's tasked you with finding a new support app, um, you're going to 
you know, you just want it to be efficient for you and picking a new one. And efficient for you isn't what most geeks would do, which is download 20 of them, install them all, throw out the ones you can't figure out how to install first. Um, and then, you know, the ones that are left, you know, go through them all. You know, just going to call up a couple of salespeople and tell them your requirements and uh, go from there. So, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get rid of the pricing page, but I can see why companies do it. It does it does push out um, – it does basically, you know, forces people to contact you and then get them into the sales process, which definitely has benefits because you can address their concerns and things they might not be aware your product can do. It gives you the opportunity to sell it versus uh, people who might just look at the pricing. And, you, you know, first of all, it'd be deterred either one way or the other. It's too cheap. This can't possibly do what I need or it's too expensive. Why would I pay this much? Uh, so you eliminate all that. And uh, and get them kind of right into the sales flow, and you know, work on the selling aspect of yes, it does do what you need, and then let's talk about pricing after that. So, I definitely see why companies do it. I don't think we're there. I don't know if we'll ever do that, but uh, but the pushing sales more forward has definitely been big. Uh, we have done contact us for sales for if you have more than fifty licenses, so that bigger um, potential customers you know do go through the sales process. And, you know, we can work with them on if they need a discount or, you know, we can do all those kind of things and be a little bit more flexible on pricing if they have a really large number of licenses. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it does make a difference. Um, what yeah, do you, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to, one other thing I don't know if we talked about on here was our, how we got rid of unlimited pricing. That would be okay. something interesting to talk about too, but go ahead. We'll talk about that. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, so for a couple of years, we had unlimited, an unlimited license, like a site, like license. A site license type of deal. Yeah. And uh, that was a horrible mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> we did that for a couple of years. And it seemed like a good idea at the time because it, it did boost in some ways the year over year. Uh, you know, it was a flat price of $8,000 for unlimited number of users, but you had to pay 8000 every year. And... um so it kind of seemed like an okay idea, but what really happened was first, all of our customers with a large amount of licenses who were paying more than $8,000 a year in support instantly moved to that, of course, because it saved them money, which is fine. And I expected that. Um, but then it didn't, you know, you don't get the bigger sales that blow out that 8,000. You, you, you know, you obviously have capped your max sale at 8,000 and, uh, and not as many customers pulled up to it. I thought we'd get more who uh, were maybe borderline, like they had 50 licenses and that's not, it's still cheaper to not have the unlimited at that point. And so I thought, well, some of them would get pulled upward and say, okay, well, for a little bit more money, we can have unlimited and we can add in the rest of you know the company or the other people who might need occasional access, things like that, but who we wouldn't necessarily want to pay for licenses for. And that didn't happen. So... Uh, that was horrible. And then we, so we got rid of unlimited after a couple of years. Uh, we grandfathered it in first. So everybody who's on unlimited is still on, on unlimited, but, uh, but not no new customers. And like the first couple of weeks after we got rid of it, you know, we had a, a sale for more than that. So, and we have some other ones in the pipeline for a lot more. So it's like, oh, why did I have this unlimited? That was silly, but live and learn. Uh just going back real quick to the the demo thing. What do you guys use for? Because I know we're going to get my questions asked. What do you guys use right. for the tool set for that for the demos or the web app? Yeah. So what we did when we first started is we had a in terms of just scheduling the demos, 
Um, what I started with was a tool called Schedule Once, which it's a little bit clunky, but it does a couple of neat tricks. Uh, it basically puts a widget on your site, one of those little pop-up widget things, mm-hmm. um, and as well as it gives you a URL that's hosted on their site uh, where people can you can set the availability of times for scheduling demos or other things. And um, so it, it would, the little widget would say schedule a HubSpot demo and they click on it and it'd take them to the page where they could could schedule a demo at the time ranges we uh, we specified. It does a lot of you know more sophisticated things um, such as keeping a certain amount of spacing between demos and you can control if you want to allow overlapping demos. Like if you have more than you know, one person who's doing demos, you could, you know, allow two or three simultaneous, for example, and it'll track all that. Um, and then, so that was one thing I wanted. And then the other thing it does is it integrates with GoToMeeting, which is what we use to actually do the demos. And so when they make a, a demo, when they schedule a demo, it'll also create the GoToMeeting meeting and generate the ID numbers and the links and everything and, um, and can send that to everyone. So the, all that's automated, whereas previously we had would just manually go into go to meeting and schedule demo and all that. So it'll take care of all that for you, which is super handy. Uh, so that's what we use, and now we still use both those tools. Um, I don't use the widget anymore for the scheduling a demo. We just push everybody through contacting sales to schedule a demo, uh, and then from there, Rebecca will email them that link to that schedule once tool, and then they can set up the the times. Uh, that we have specified as available for demos, and uh, and it works pretty well. And you just it's you and Rebecca doing the demo together for each client. No, primarily Rebecca does them on her own. Um, I'll do them, you know, if I need to cover for her, or sometimes if it's uh, like their customer that's got a really complicated scenario or something like that, then I'll I'll join her on those to you know go over the the really complicated you know, integrations or things they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but primarily she does them. And you show some sort of, you have a help spot set up for demo purposes, like fake data and stuff. Yeah. We don't, she goes in and makes the fake data doing out a more fleshed out series of fake data is high on my list of things to do. So, uh, yeah, creating, having a kind of a push button, fill this, fill this demo account with a bunch of data, uh, is something we need to do right now. She builds it out manually. Um, HubSpot 4 does a little more of that on its own anyway. Now when you actually install HubSpot, it asks you what type of account or what kind of installation it is, if it's internal support or external support. And based on that selection, it actually builds out more appropriate categories and things mm. by default already. So some of that stuff's done, at least in terms of basic structure, but uh, but yeah, actually populating it with fake requests and things right now, we don't really do that. Uh, she does it manually. We'll put a few in there so there's some stuff to talk about. But yeah, building that out more thoroughly is something she's asked for and that uh, I plan on getting to here eventually because uh, it does make it a little bit nicer to have a lot. You know, if you have a good chunk of data in there, it certainly is nicer for reports and things when you demo those. Mm, cool. Yep. So, and now we have HubSpot Cloud, and that's simpler. The old demo process was a little bit clunkier, but now it can just build out an instance of it, or we could even do it in their own instance um, if they want to, which does sometimes happen. Uh, and then they could stay in that all the way through purchase, and they don't have to move anywhere else. So that's 
nice as well. And did they have to purchase support uh, for the demo, or is that sort of no. like before the sale type of a thing? Yeah, yeah, before. Yeah, we do. I have, and, and HelpSite even comes with a free year of support. Um, so when you buy it, you get a free year of support, mm-hmm. which is something I've thought about getting rid of. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. For now, we're keeping it. But I know other tools do have you pay that year up front. So I don't know. In some ways, and it, it, it also in some ways is more complicated because you have to make sure that people understand that they're getting this for free. Sometimes people don't even know it's free. And uh, so then they're, they're not paying for something they'd be willing to pay for, which is annoying. But Do you, do you still have that, uh, the gap thing where if they, uh, get, if they have a gap in their support and then they renew their support, uh, the renewal begins from where, where they support ended before the gap? Right, right. And we got rid of that. Okay. So yeah, that we did have, that was, I think Fogbugs did that. And I just, Fogbugs did that. And I thought it was weird. And, and then, cause it doesn't feel like a natural thing from the consumer standpoint. Right. You got rid of it. But then I just got an email from uh, JetBrains, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pushing all of their one off products, desktop tools. Um, they do a PHP editor and a whole bunch of other editors. Yep. Uh, so they push their stuff to a subscription model. I think with the support thing, but I think I read that their support thing is one of those fug bug style where if you have a gap and then you need to renew the support again for something, they will make you pay for that gap. Yeah. So a couple of things with that. So in terms of us, we got rid of that like three or four years ago, I think, because I ran the numbers and we'd only, I don't know, it was like $20,000 we made over the previous six years. And so it seemed too punitive and didn't seem to do what you'd hope, which is keep people in support so much. Uh, and it, keep, it kept people from coming back because sometimes people just let it lapse. And then when they want to come back, you have to give them all this bad news that's going to cost <laughs> them many more thousands of dollars than they thought it would. So it just was eh, it's just kind of crappy from a customer relations standpoint. Um, so we got rid of it. But uh, but yeah, the JetBrain stuff is kind of interesting that has some application. I, I thought about that stuff a lot as well. So they, I haven't looked at all the details, but yeah, they were their desktop app and they, you know, sold it in a traditional desktop way of you pay them 200 bucks and you get the editor and, you know, every year they come out with a new one and you can pay them 80 bucks for the new version or whatever. Um, and now they're moving to subscription, but then everybody freaked out. So now they've gone back to, it's still kind of a subscription, but there's a way around the subscription. I don't know. Now that I think they've gone wrong and that they didn't stick to their guns. And now they're in this weird no man's land of eight different variations of their pricing, which I think is not good. But, uh, but going SaaS for a downloadable thing is something I've thought about in terms of SaaS pricing. It was something I actually had planned to do with HubSpot 4, uh, because a lot of our competitors now charge just yeah exactly you know monthly fees or yearly and the software stops working if you don't pay it so even though it's on premise you know it's priced exactly like a saas and will stop working just like a saas if you stop paying uh which obviously has some benefits um but for now, I've decided not to do it. I know I like being able to market on that you own it. There are some companies that like that ability to own it and not have to worry about it, you know, not working. So it's kind of a differentiator. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, a lot of things are moving more that way and it does simplify some conversations about the pricing because it's just X per year. Because uh, mm-hmm. I would probably do annual, not 
monthly, but you know, it's just X per year and that's it. Uh, but I don't know for now, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going all the way with it, but it is an interesting change going on. We were toying with the idea of doing that for the Quantic product also. Yep. Since it's a desktop product, but it sort of requires ongoing um, effort uh, to keep it working. So sort of naturally led to uh, the discussion about making it sort of a desktop product with an annual subscription type of deal, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I think there's, it depends a lot on the market too. And, uh, you know, if all your competitors price that way, it's you know, not unreasonable to price the same way. So, you know, I think it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to say, then you do see a little more backlash like the jet brains and, and things going on with that against that kind of pricing now, but it's hard to tell jet brains is kind of weird because they're so, you know, they're selling just to developers and developers are like the worst people in the world to sell to. Cause they're like everything that's bad about consumers, but then they're also geeky, techie people so they're going to be all up in arms about all sorts of weird things uh you know pricing and open source and all all the stuff that comes up that would never come up with either business pure business people or with regular consumers so it's hard to tell it's hard to take a lot from pure geek firestorm since they're always on twitter ranting about stuff but uh but it'll be interesting to see. I think in the next year or two, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I know uh, our friends over at Gurak uh, Software mm-hmm. or TestRail, uh, they went to SaaS pricing just like, this month, I think, or very recently. So kind of interested to see how they make out with it as well with their uh, with the TestRail app. And, uh, and We should have them on. I asked them uh, to yeah, come on sure. as guests a while, months ago, and they were sort of in the transition of uh, – uh, increasing their company size and releasing the new test rails. Yep. And uh, so they said later, and uh, I never followed up. We should follow up and have them on because there's, those guys are back from the Joel on software days. Yep. And uh, they sort of made a, a a big company out of out of that. Yeah, um, they got a second location now. Yeah. And uh, and test rails interesting app too uh, in terms of managing QA and, and things like that. It's kind of a nice little niche there and. Uh, it's a PHP app also. For, I was just talking about it. For some reason, I thought it was Rails. I don't know if it's just because it's got I thought Rails it was .NET. The, what's that? I thought it was .NET. Oh, well, it's neither. What? <laughs> it's PHP. Uh, they do have a Smart Inspect, which is logging for .NET, Java, oh, and Delphi. Okay. So maybe that's where that. Maybe that's where we got confused is on the other the other app. Although I don't know what that's actually written in. I assume it must be in C or something, right? Who knows? Oh, it's like a desktop app. I don't know anything about that product of theirs, but I'll ping those guys again. We should have them on as guests. Yeah, that'd be cool to have them on. Um, guess what? But, now that Ethan started school, my wife has some free time, so we're starting a new product that she's gonna drive. Oh, what's this? Um, it's gonna be a website for financial engineers. Ah, so like a content thing with maybe some uh, freemium sections and maybe some, I mean, premium sections and some yep. free stuff. I don't know because she's running it and I'm very happy to just let her run it and not think about any of it. <laughs> Is Except, it going to be like a blog format kind of thing? Like I don't Derek know. Fireball I, style I, I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, I'm happy not to, not to uh, get into it until uh, she'll tell me what she wants. Uh, um, tech wise. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. But you know, we can't again with the naming, 
uh, it's, it's like <laughs> it's the worst name. part of launching a new product. In that, you know, naming doesn't matter. Like we've all agreed that the name doesn't matter. Um, but it only doesn't matter if you approach it with that mindset from the beginning, because right. once you get into it, it starts to matter. Right. <laughs> um, it's sort of like, um, it, it, it's a, it's a form of frustration, uh, similar to like researching a new car or looking through design portfolios, trying to select a designer for something. Um, it's this frustration of, of, uh, sifting through a huge pile of mediocre stuff, trying to find something good. Uh, when choosing a name, and then after a while, your notion of good starts to warp, and then you're just chasing a moving target. Um, uh, it's impossible, you know. We go through the domain <coughs> search tools, right? And then I built a tool for myself years ago that you know you feed it some related words, and it does some smart stuff and spits out tons of combinations of nice sounding <laughs> domain names, and then you yeah. go and check the availability of those. So uh, instead of sifting through ten thousand things that are crap, you sift through. 2,000 things that are not crap, but it's still 2,000 things. And, um, and naming is hard. Drug companies have, you seen those commercials? Drug companies, they have issues with naming too. You get stuff like Boniva and Victoza. And right. Just weird. completely made up. <laughs> but um, you need the $100 million to market it. You know, your biomium or whatever. <laughs> right. That's where, that's where they can get away with it. So now I'm hoping the new Laravel thing will come in handy. That comes out of Alpha before I have to start building this for her. Um, yeah. That SaaS bootstrap sassy thing that Laravel introduced. Yeah, Spark kind Spark, of right. handles the subscription. Man, Taylor is well. awesome at naming stuff. Yeah, he's a naming guru. <laughs> um, and you know, we need a CMS that's sort of agnostic from any design markup, just for content. And I never needed it. it's like a CMS before. We never ran a content site before, so right. I don't know what to do for that. Maybe Perch or something similar. Um, yeah, just something to let her put stuff uh, into the system. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, nice. I like that idea. Thing, but I'm happy that's a good idea. she's running her own product now. Well, that's where we, uh, Jamie's talked about that. So now that all three of our kids are in school, four days a week, they're all in school um, every day except Monday. So yeah, now she has a lot more time to work in the business. And uh, so she's going to be, she's kind of was just catching up from a summer of not, you know, being caught up on everything. So she's just about caught up and uh, it's gonna, you know, she does all the business stuff, but she's gonna start doing probably some marketing or something like that. She has talked about doing some little side business too, but right now we just don't have any bandwidth for for another thing. But she's gonna start doing uh, some marketing on HelpSpot and different things like that. So it's kind of gonna be kind of cool because it's like gaining another employee right. um, for out of the air, which is nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of a similar similar spot. Mm. Did you do any more uh, playing on the Last of Us thing? I did. So Friday, I played for about maybe an hour. So and the and the previous Friday, I think I played. So I don't know. Since we talked, I think I've played twice. I'm now up to uh, where am I? I'm now up to. We're looking for some guy in a warehouse. We caught him. <laughs> And we beat him up or something. They oh, killed Lord. him. And then, after you're done with the game, there's a great documentary. I think it's free now on YouTube, but you can also, I think, buy it through either buy it or get it through the games menu on the making of that game. <clears throat> the guy who plays Joel, his name is Troy Baker. Mm. He's like the the hot stuff of the voiceover industry oh, no. now. Um, yeah, his voiceover stuff's pretty good. 
Yeah, so you might want to look into that. It's a great thing. And then there's a DLC um, after you finish, but you only play it after you finish The Last of Us uh, called Left Behind, I think, which yeah, is um, fantastic. <laughs> How far? Am I almost done with this game or what? Like, oh, I no. feel like I'm You're fun- not even in the prologue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Jamie was watching me play for a minute. She's like, this is really violent. I'm like, yeah, I guess this is really violent. Why, why do people, I can't believe people let kids play these games. Why do they let me play these games? I don't it's think like, The Last of Us is a kid's game. Uh, no, it's not even, even if you take out the violence, they just wouldn't get the sort of, there's a sort of uh, father-daughter relationship there that they just wouldn't get anything out of. Uh, that I think it's really for adults and more so parents than uh kids. I don't it was kind of interesting in that opening scene where you just run around. I was like, first I was like, this is annoying, but then I kind of missed that now that I have to actually do stuff. I'm like, well, maybe it was nice just running around and it was more like a movie. Now I have to go around and find stuff and shoot people and whatever. It's both that, fun and frustrating work. listening to you as a total non-gamer <laughs> talking about probably the best, one of the best games of last year. I'm still, I'm still playing it. Um, I finished a short story. I finished a book thing. Book thing? A book thing. Wait, you wrote it or you read I, it? No, I read it. <laughs> <laughs> My writing days are over. Uh, one book I released, that's, that, that's it. No more. Um, uh, Philip K. Dick's thing called Second Variety, mm. a piece of sci-fi. I, I didn't have a, a good internet connection this week, and I needed something that I could just grab from uh, Project Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good sci-fi story. It's from the 50s, so nothing that hasn't been explored many times since then. It's f- so rare to find a piece of sci-fi that is actually you know, like mind-bending in a way that you haven't read or experienced something Right. Uh, that before um the movie screamers uh, i think it's mid 90s movie um uh was based on it which i thought it might have been since I, when i was reading it but i didn't know until i checked wikipedia do you do that I, I i do that for everything i read or watch or play i go to wikipedia and do a bunch of like follow-up research on the author or the actors or the history of the thing i just watched i do um, sometimes it depends i tend to have that desire while i'm in the middle of it but then i don't want to go there because wikipedia has the plot and everything and i don't right. want to i just skip the plot section anything. no i actually yeah i skip the plot section but i sort of i like the history of that thing or that's my little bit of like the reading the last page of the book first type of weirdness right. <laughs> I, I have to follow up like when we were watching um uh, never mind. I forgot about it. I forgot what the title of it is. But previous we, episode, you mean? Yeah, we're watching. Uh, we talked about it a while back. We're watching the the, the Fringe. We're watching Fringe. Uh, yeah. I don't watch the Fringe. That's you watching the Fringe. So we were watching it, and like every episode, it's it's terrible because I think it's made by the same guy who made Lost. Is it? Uh, yeah, things. and uh, it's the same. You think there's some poignant plot connecting connecting thing that will happen to the story? They'll make it nice, you know, like with the numbers sequence thing. Right. It was. <laughs> but but nothing, nothing ever wraps up. He just right. keeps starting new things and never resolves any of them. And the Fringe is the same exact way. It's like it became a different show three times during its entirety. <laughs> um, but all throughout it, you kind of – I had to go back to Wikipedia and sort of do these research things and the actors and I want to know what their Twitter feeds look like and like I want to know what they did before. <laughs> I, I really go into like the behind the scenes of this stuff. So – um, it was fun with this book as well. Uh, I, when I realized that the Screamers movie was based on it's a good movie, uh, as sci fi goes. Um, game wise, I started and finished Destiny as much as anyone could finish Destiny. Um, it's a frustrating game. 
Ah. Um, but it's, isn't it, it's also a multiplayer, like, forever online thing. Yeah, right? so so the thing is that the, the multiplayer part of it kind of sucks. Oh, really? People uh, seem but, to love it. Well, this like it's multiplayer in a sense. It's like a it's like World of Warcraft. It's multiplayer in the sense that you're there with other people, but you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to play against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the PV the player versus player stuff is kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. But when you're by yourself and you're leveling up and you're shooting, the minute to minute feel of the shooting is fantastic. It's like ten out of ten for the sh- the just the visceral feel of the shooting. Mm-hmm. They nailed that. But the structure of the game is frustrating because what their stuff is essentially a uh, single player experience is like two hours long. Right. Uh, but then you go on and you just sort of grind out by visiting the same locations over and over <laughs> and over and over again. And like, the people fun seem stuff, to just talk about like they're just trying to get more weapons, but doesn't I don't know, yeah, the plot seems all thin. But maybe. to no end, right? You just right. get more weapons in order to go shoot and get more weapons. Right. <laughs> uh, but the fun part the fun parts of it is sort of like there's this raid which you like you attack this you go through the sequence of attacking this boss and it's like six hours long or something but it requires a coordinated team of like six people which mm-hmm. they don't match you up against as other levels have in the raid you have to sort of have actual six people to play with because you're mm-hmm. communicating through microphones and stuff it's like it requires sort of like you have to hold a flag here and two more people have to hold two other flags and mm. it, it requires you being able to speak to other people about what you're doing and sort of like an actual raid thing and I don't have six friends who played Destiny first of all it's like a, a two year old game at this point uh, and second of all I don't have six hours to put in because you can't get up and get a cup of coffee or something unless you all say let's all get up and get a cup of coffee and right. um, it's sort of like I watched other people play it and it's like a six hour thing and, and it's you know if I didn't have kids and dogs and a wife and and I was a teenager sitting somewhere and I had six hours to burn through and I had friends then yes but I don't see how anybody <laughs> else could be structured in their life in a way that would accommodate having to play this this level which is actually from what I heard the funnest part of like that base game mm. and then they released DLC for it which is like if you're tired of going to all these previous places and grinding over and over and over again you have these other places you could purchase but they're like $20 a piece I bought the whole game for 15 on sale. <laughs> and I don't feel like... So, but they made the shooting itself so much fun that you sort of like get these withdrawal symptoms. Like I'm not paying $40 for more places to visit and shoot, but at the same time, it's like the best feeling shooter I've played. So frustrating. So I went back to playing Halo 4, hoping that the shooting would be better than I remembered. Um, and I was wrong. The shooting is still Halo, and I still don't like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How does the shooting feel? Is it that the remote, the feedback in the remote is good? Like the uh, physical feedback? Yeah, the feedback? little bit of a vibration feels good, but it's more, you know, I don't know. It's just after you played a while, a bunch of these FPS games, mm-hmm. uh, the shooting in each one sort of feels different. Um, just the feedback, the visual feedback, and sometimes the tactile stuff going through the vibration and the. And the controller feels different. Um, so Destiny is definitely like the the best one that that felt great in a while. But yeah, it's a frustrating game in other places. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, Halo, I always hated the shooting in Halo. It's, it doesn't feel like anything. Yeah. It feels. I was never into Halo. Lasery and futuristicy in the in the way that I don't like. I played the first one through, but I never played really any of the other ones significantly. I'm looking forward to. I always like Battlefield. Yeah, Battlefield Star Wars. I'm looking forward to that's in November. I, know, I have yeah. a pre-ordered, and I'll probably never play it. I'll probably still be in Phase One of Last of Us then. So yeah. I don't know, but 
Yeah, but those two could be played together. They're they're parallel games that are compatible. Some games are not comp- like you, you won't be able to play like some games are hard to play in parallel because the control schemes are messing with your mm-hmm. mind and you won't like it's hard, but I think Battlefield and The Last of Us are different enough that you'll be able to play them. Last of Us is interesting from a you know, cause the last time I I guess I played Battlefield uh I guess the original or Whatever it was when Tyler was a little baby, I played Battlefield, mm-hmm. or and before he was a baby, I guess, and then when he was a baby, um, that was the last game I really played significantly time wise. And then before that, I don't even know. I, I was uh, into uh, what was that? Like the army had a game there for computers, right? Uh, the uh, yeah, so the the official army game. <laughs> yeah, that was big for a while. And it was so supposed I was to be to, rec- to recruit. Right, uh, it was pretty smart of them, really. To recruit people into the army. But, oh, I wonder if that's still a thing, but that was kind of a big yeah, thing for a while. Yeah, it stood so. out because it was actually competently made and a pretty good game for you know for something that was a, a gimmicky promote government thing. Right, exactly. So I was playing that for a while, and that was just, you know, mouse and keyboard. And so then before that, the last thing I played, you know, was a teenager playing stuff on Sega and whatever. So... It's it was interesting. It's interesting in Last of Us how the controls have changed so significantly, and uh, just little things like you can listen and how they do that, and how they shade the screen and let you listen ahead of yourself, and right. uh, just the different controls for organizing your inventory and different things like that that are. So a lot uh, of that is just cheap. modern game development. It's not right. like. Uh, uh, the Last that, of Us didn't me, create it. The Last of Us is all about just sort of story, really. I mean, right, right. No, I get that, but just just what, the modern game stuff, since I haven't seen any right, you haven't experienced is, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's and even just restricting like your ammunition and stuff. Whereas you know, in old games, it was like you you got ammo everywhere and. It was just falling out of every place, and that was <laughs> an issue. But you know, where when it's more held back, and there's other things you have to do instead, or being stealthy, and I mean, there was Rainbow Six I used to play, which kind of had that element too. But uh, right, and there's a lot of crafting in The Last of Us. I don't know if you got to that part yet, but like, no, you have to, I haven't built anything yet. You have to craft stuff with the stuff you pick up. Okay. Uh, I picked up Borderlands Two, uh, Game of the Year edition, which is an older game, but this one. First of all, it was $8 on Steam over the weekend, uh, but it has all the DLC, and I think it comes close to the shooting feeling as good as Destiny, so I'm looking forward. It's also a grindy Destiny type of a game, but a lot of it is story, not like Destiny. you got to do a game. When are you going to do a game? you got no, a little time no, now. You're, the, you're freeing up your time. I'll let people who know what they're doing do games. And you're gonna... dialing back to consulting. And I picked you up Rise. build a game. I picked up... No. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up Rise on a Rome, which is a I think it's a game it's a game about gladiators or the actual gladiators like from ancient Rome. Um at Steam over the weekend it was ten bucks. I think it was an Xbox One launch title, so only a few years old and now it's ten bucks. Games are like ridiculously priced. This is what you gotta do. Now your wife's doing a Wall Street y quanti website for Wall Street people. You do a gamer website. Because nobody's thought of that. What? <laughs> you will have a unique game websites everywhere. Site. Just go to go to giantbomb.com. <laughs> yeah, but nobody has your take on these games. I want the boot talk take. I don't want just some kids take. Nobody needs the. It's not kids take. Giantbomb.com is like um, the website for games. Ran yeah. by like forty year olds. You can like, have more than there can be more than one game site. Games are a big industry, and you need to build a game. 
but that's that's what, that could be a side in our in our side business here game. No, I want to build a game. No thanks. I don't even know. Did you start with a wild loop or something? I mean, I don't understand how you <laughs> build a game. I couldn't have less of an idea, but we're gonna build one. That's it. I'm good. Thanks. Gamification of a game. No need to build games. <laughs> all um, right, it's been an hour. What else is going right. on? Anything we're else done? to cover? No. Or are we uh, wrapping? I'm good. We'll come back again next week. All right. I'm well, thanks to Release Notes and the Release Notes Conference for sponsoring. Definitely check them out. $100 off with Bootstrapped. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Thank you, Andre, for getting up this early and <laughs> recording with me. I was up very early. My dogs needed to go outside and needed to open the door. How can you have dogs? I, I can't. We thought a million times about getting a dog and I just can't do it. It's like we've got all the kids out of diapers. Why do I want another thing that I have to deal with? On. Those are worse. Having, are Ethan, worse. having Ethan stay at his uh, grandparents was like a, a trivial thing. Here, Ethan, they can for a drive and then go right. to his grandparents and leave with the dogs. Are like you have to find a boarding place. <laughs> the the whole thing is horrible. I don't. Understand. <laughs> I love Maybe dogs. Maybe once I've the kids are out of the house or something. But uh, does Ethan play with your dogs? Uh, they're mostly ignoring each other, but yeah, occasionally <laughs> he likes thing. to throw the ball and and the dogs chase it. He does. We that. did. We did get a fish and my middle child actually takes pretty good care of it. I mean, his only job is to feed the fish. So it's not a big deal. And when we go somewhere, if we go overnight, we can just take the fish. It's a little tiny tank and a little tiny fish and we can just give them, give them to anybody. So it's not too bad, but that's as, that's as, that's as big an animal commitment as I can make. I we were know. thinking of getting the fish because maybe, you know, Ethan would like something like that. But, um, I mean, I don't, exactly for this reason, like if we went to Philly, where does the fish go? Yeah. Well, you could probably leave it with Ethan. Throw yeah, I'm not going to take the fish down to Brooklyn. It's like a thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to expose the poor fish to Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, it's not a Brooklyn fish. It's a Long uh, Island fish. All right, all right, all right. You don't want to take it out of its own. Well, fish are weird <laughs> like that, too. We uh, now we're, you See, we ended the show, but we're still going. This is the, the after dark here. The um, We got this fish, and these friends of ours, we actually were inspired to get this fish because these friends of ours have had this goldfish Two goldfish they had for four years. Don't stupid they die go- in like two days or something? I know. Something? They were stupid goldfish from a fair. Four <laughs> years they've had these goldfish, right? And she just had a regular tank, like a traditional, it's just a bowl, basically, right? right? And so Jamie went to get a fish. We got the fish. And she got this little tank with a filter, like a little tiny tank, but it's got a built-in filter so you don't have to clean it so often. And we got a beta fish, which is a little bit of a hardier fish. So this other, these other friends of ours saw our setup and were like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's nice because they were having to clean their bowl like every week or twice a week or something for four years. So she, she went out and bought this bowl it was with the filter and everything. The next day, the fish were dead. <laughs> the next day. And it's like, so fish are temperamental like that. If you change their environment, they croak, you know, oxygen level or who knows what. So, I don't know. My approach to fish is like your approach to video games. I feel like like I want to try it, but I need to know this like this wealth of information about <laughs> it before I even get into it. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not too, I mean, it's I, I like it from the responsibility front because it's something that the kids can actually take care of. Whereas a dog, you say that, but they're not really old enough to truly take care of a dog. So mm-hmm. really, it's just you who has to take care of the dog. Um, but the fish, I mean, he can really take care of the fish, even though Jamie mostly like, cleans it. But otherwise, he does all the feeding. And, you know, my daughter, the baby, 
is responsible for turning the light on and off in the morning. (laughs) So she has her little part of it. So there's some good stuff with that, but like a big animal that you actually have to take to the vet and it gets fleas and you got to put the chemicals on it and poops in your house when it's sick and all that stuff. (laughs) I can't deal with it. I just can't deal with it. It's too much. All right. That's enough. That's a good spot. Uh, That's a good spot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next week. We'll be back again next week. Bye guys.